now we return to the story of Jonah. Jonah's story is a story about a man who knew that God's heart is gracious. He knew that about God's heart. But God wanted Jonah to taste his gracious heart. Let me ask you, do you know what it's like to feel forgiven just at the moment when you're convinced you should be condemned? Do you know what it's like to feel forgiven just at the moment when you're convinced that you should be condemned? Last week, we read about Jonah being thrown overboard, sinking to the depths because he was running from God. And so we're going to look and see what happens next. As you stand for the reading of God's word, I will pray. Lord, give us a taste of your heart this morning as we consider what Jonah's story tells us about who you are and who we are to you. In Christ's name I pray, amen. Now, hear the word of God, the word of the God who loves you, starting in Jonah chapter 1 verse 17 and all the way through chapter 2. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head. At the roots of the mountains, I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. When I was about nine years old, I spent lots of time during the summer at our apartment complex pool. One day at the pool, I made two foolish choices. My first foolish choice was that I snuck up on a kid who is bigger than me, and I pushed that kid into the shallow end of the pool. This kid was known to be a little wild, and he came up out of the water with that wild look in his eye. He jumped out of the pool, and he started chasing me around the pool deck. Now comes foolish decision number two. I jumped into the deep end, thinking I could get away from him. I didn't think he knew how to swim in the deep end. But here's the problem. 
He did know how to swim in the deep end, and I didn't. So he jumped in after me, and in his fury, and I mean fury, he he began to push me down under the water. I was thrashing underneath him, trying to come up for air, but I couldn't. He wouldn't let me up. He was too strong for me. It all seemed like urgency in slow motion. He kept holding me under, and I thought, this is crazy. He's just playing. He's going to let me up, but he didn't. And panic gripped my heart. I'm going to die. I needed to breathe, but I couldn't dare take a breath underwater. And finally, just when I, I truly thought I was going to drown, a lifeguard jumped into the water with us, pushed the wild kid off of me, grabbed me, and pulled me out of the deep end and set me on the pool deck. I was choking up water, sputtering, coughing, gasping for air, and I was gripped by how close I had come to dying. It's no wonder that we fear drowning. We have nightmares about drowning. Suffocation is a horrible way to die. You can't cry for help underwater. Despite all your efforts, you have no power to save yourself. Panic and desperation fill your heart as the water pushes the air out of your lungs. I almost physically drowned that day. But I've come close to drowning spiritually multiple times in my life. And sometimes it was because of my own foolish choices. Sometimes it was because of the foolish, sinful actions of others against me. And sometimes it was simply because I suffer in a world that's not the way it's supposed to be. I have come close to drowning in my own guilt and shame and in the consequences of my own choices. But each of those near-drowning experiences awakened me to God, awakened me to my need for him in new ways that I had not experienced before. Have you, have you ever come close to drowning physically, spiritually? Have you come close to suffocating under the water of your guilt and shame and the consequences of your choices? Jonah experienced physical and spiritual drowning all at the same time, and it awakened him. Jonah called it his distress. Our text tells us that Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol, which is the grave, I cried, and you heard my voice. Jonah was in distress. He was suffocating under the need and anxiety and trouble. And as we hear his prayer and read his prayer, we can sense his sinking down into the depths. We can feel the weight of the water on him as he thrashes about trying to get his bearings. He's slipping away from the surface. The, the panic of suffocation that grips Jonah grips us as we hear what he had to say. He says, Verse 3, you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. 
The waters closed in over me to take my life. Can you feel the claustrophobia? The deep surrounded me. Weed, seaweed was wrapped around my head. I was at the roots of the mountains. And I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. That, that's a Hebrew expression for the gates of death. The gates of death were closed and I was behind the bars. Jonah was as low as he could go physically and spiritually. He was suffer, suffocating under the weight of his guilt and shame because he had been running away from God. And notice who Jonah believes is holding him underwater. Jonah says, you cast me into the deep. Your waves and your billows passed over me, Lord. Like me at the apartment pool that summer day, Jonah is being held underwater by the one he pushed away, by the one he shoved out of his sight. I deserve that kid's wrath on that summer day. But pushing away and shoving aside the living God who made you and privileged you to be his son and his servant? Shoving aside the most important being in the universe cannot be overlooked. Jonah knew he deserved death. In fact, Jonah recognized that he was receiving from God the very thing that he, Jonah, was asking for, was seeking Remember, Jonah sought to run away from the presence of God, and now God was giving Jonah over to the very thing Jonah wanted, and Jonah knew it. That's why he says in verse 4, then I said, I am driven away from your sight. I want to run from the presence of God, and now I'm being driven away from his sight. God's words in Psalm 81 apply to Jonah. Psalm 81 says, but my people did not listen to my voice. Israel would not submit to me. Sounds like Jonah. So, God says, I gave them over to their stubborn hearts to follow their own counsels. That's exactly what happened to Jonah. And Paul talks about this too in Romans 1. He describes the wrath of God in the same way. He says, just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them over to do uh, to a depraved mind to do what should not be done. Jonah acted like he didn't want the word or the presence of God anymore. And now, through this near-drowning experience, God was awakening Jonah to realize that he wasn't merely going to lose his life, he was going to lose his God. This is what Jonah admits in verse 4. I am driven away from your sight, Yet I shall again look to your holy temple. Jonah's saying, I need to look again to the place where God has made his presence known, the temple, the place where God made it possible for unholy people to be in fellowship with the holy God through the shedding of the blood of a sacrifice. Jonah confesses the same thing again in verses 7 and 8. He says in verse 7, when my life was fainting away, I remember the Lord, and my prayer came to you, Lord, into your holy temple. He's saying, when I was about to die, I remembered what matters most in life and death. I remembered the Lord. I longed for his presence again. 
And I prayed toward the place where his presence dwells and where his presence with me is made possible by the sacrifice of a lamb. And then God used Jonah's distress to awaken Jonah to confess in verse 8. Listen to these crucial words. Jonah confesses, those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. God brought Jonah to a place where he could remember that Yahweh is the God who loves. Yahweh is the God who keeps his covenant promises. Idols can't love you. Idols don't keep their promises. Yahweh does. Jonah knows this. If I lose God, if I lose Yahweh, I forsake any hope I have of steadfast love. Jonah realized that this would be the greatest loss of all, to lose God. To run away from his presence is to run away from his steadfast love. But God, God loved Jonah so much that God rescued Jonah's relationship with God. And now finally, finally, Jonah is tasting and seeing the steadfast love of God in the story of his own rescue. And now looking back, Jonah tells his story in a way that highlights God's sovereign grace and his steadfast love. Remember at the end of chapter one, Jonah tells us that the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. That's sovereign grace. At the end of this prayer in Verse 10 of chapter 2, Jonah tells us that the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. That's God's sovereign grace pursuing Jonah. And so Jonah sees the hand of God's sovereign grace moved by the heart of God's steadfast love in every little detail of his story. Until at the end of verse 9, the end of his prayer, Jonah waves this banner over the whole of his life, Salvation belongs to the Lord. Jonah says, my salvation and the salvation of those pagan sailors and the salvation of Ninevites, salvation belongs to the Lord and he will give it and accomplish it for whomever he pleases. Thank God he pleased to accomplish it for me. And did you notice how God is described in verse 1 of chapter 2? Then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from the belly of the fish. Something shifted. (laughs) This is the God he was running away from. Now he's praying to his God. Jonah sees that his God is pursuing him with steadfast love, and that rather than seek some refuge from God, he can seek refuge in God. So Jonah prays to his God. Friends, God loves Jonah and pagan sailors and Ninevites and you and me so much that he will move heaven and earth to rescue our relationship with him. He is ours and we are his. He will move heaven and earth to rescue his relationship with you. And now here's another amazing truth. 
that struck me this week as I studied this chapter. This was such a comfort to me. Even though God delivered Jonah from death, God didn't immediately deliver Jonah from his difficulties. Even though God delivered Jonah from death, he did not immediately deliver Jonah from his difficulties. Where is Jonah when he prays this prayer? Where is Jonah when he prays this prayer of thanksgiving for a rescue God has already accomplished? Verse 1, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish. He's still in the belly of the fish, and in the belly of the fish, he says, you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. Jonah is still in the belly of the fish when he considers his life brought up from the pit? Now, if I were Jonah, I would not consider myself fully rescued until I had been spit upon dry land, had a shower, and was wearing a clean robe and sandals. But Jonah knew that God sent that fish to rescue him from the judgment of God, not to make everything comfortable. Jonah was thanking God that he was saved from God's wrath. Not that God made everything hunky-dory. His circumstances were not much better, but he knew that he was saved from the wrath of God. Jonah's current experience was stinky and slimy, disgusting and confining, still claustrophobic. It's still not the life he used to have back in Israel, but his relationship with God is restored. He knew that God was for him, not against him. He knew that nothing he was currently experiencing could separate him from the steadfast love of his pursuing God. Jonah is thankful for God's rescue while he's still in the nasty belly of the fish. He's rejoicing in a rescue that is already real, though it is not yet fully realized. Jonah is rejoicing in a rescue that is already real, though it is not fully realized. You might be thinking, well, that's all well, all well and good for Jonah. But God hasn't done that for me. God's not doing that for me. doesn't feel like it. All I've ever felt from God is disappointment, condemnation. I feel like he's holding me down underwater and he won't let me up. And that's where my drowning story fails, my illustration fails. God is not a wild bully holding you underwater just to get back at you. No, that's not the gospel. God drowned for Jonah. God drowned for Ninevites. God drowned for you and me. Jesus said in Matthew 12, someone greater than Jonah is here. Jesus said, for just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man, Jesus, be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And he was. Jesus never ran from the word or presence of his Father, but fully and faithfully and with joy responded to his Father's call. 
This Jesus went down into the depths of God's judgment. He was overcome by God's waves of wrath. He died by suffocation on a Roman cross. He was buried in the grave, locked behind the bars of the gates of death. His head wrapped not in seaweed, but in a crown of thorns, and then later by a piece of cloth that was made to wrap the dead. But on the third day, God raised Jesus from the dead. The grave had to spit him out because God said so. God spoke to the grave and the grave spit him out. Paul said in Romans chapter four that Jesus was delivered up on the cross for our sins, but he was raised to life for our justification. And you know what that means? It means that you can know right now that even though you're still in the belly of the fish and your life is dark and it stinks and it feels confining, all that may be true. But now you can be sure that because Jesus went to the depths and rose again, there is grace in the depths for you. You can say with Paul in Romans 8, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, in all of these things, we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. Paul says, for I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor any height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. I almost drowned in the apartment complex pool that summer day, 40 four years ago. And I will never, never forget what nearly drowning felt like. But I will also never forget what it felt like to be rescued. Friends, if you're in distress this morning, if you feel like you're close to drowning, let me encourage you. Cry out to God from your distress. Be real with him about how it feels and what it's doing to you. Cry out to God from your distress. If you need help, use the words of Jonah's prayer in chapter two to help you express your heart to God. Use the Psalms to express your heart. You can use some of the Psalms that Jonah used. Do you realize he quoted in this, quoted or echoed in this prayer, Psalms 18, 42, 49, 107, 118, and 120. Use God's word when you don't have words. Confess that you have replaced worshiping the God who makes and keeps his promises of steadfast love. You've replaced worshiping him with worshiping idols, false gods that didn't die in your place and raise you to new life. Recognize that in all your losses, your greatest loss would be to lose your relationship with God. Prize his presence more than anyone or anything Long for and put your hope in the steadfast love of God. And finally, trust. Trust that no matter how much the circumstances you find yourself in stink and are uncomfortable and slimy and disgusting and messy, trust and rest in the already rescue of the resurrected Christ and hope 
in the not yet resurrection that waits for you because of him. Father, help us. Help us to find your grace and your steadfast love in our depths. Help us like Jonah and because of Jesus to cry out out of our distress, to cry out to the true temple to Jesus where your presence dwells and where your sacrifice was made for each of us. And help us to remember this table, <laughs> that this table reminds us that the one who pursues us succumbed to death for us, but you raised him from the dead so that again, whenever we are in the depths we can remember that Jesus went to the depths for us, rose again, and there is grace in the depths for us. So help us, Lord, to feed on that hope and your love by faith as we feed on this bread and this cup. In Christ's name, amen.